Kenny today. Hadn't seen Kenny today. Kenny's in the Augusta, what is it, Savannah River that runs through Augusta? Yeah, he's swimming down the Savannah River in Augusta um, with a bunch of other people doing a half Ironman today. So when he gets back next week, y'all congratulate him on a job well done. He's probably on, I don't know, running some laps around Augusta right now, something like that. Uh, but he's really into that kind of thing. He actually has a full Ironman. He's not going to tell you all this. I'm going to tell you. He's not here, so right? He has a full Ironman coming up in November. Um, he and another buddy, his sponsor, they're going to Mexico being sponsored by FCA, Fellowship Christian Athletes, and they're going down there, and they're going to run the full Ironman. So he's like on the weekends, if you see him out running or biking, he's been doing that for a couple of hours. Um, so anyhow, we, we're excited for him to get back to us and also for what he's got coming up. We're in a series traveling through the book of Romans, and uh, today we come to the end of Romans chapter 13. Uh, Paul shares with us the law of love, and so that's what we're going to um, dive into. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Romans chapter 13, or you can follow along with us on the screen. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word. We'll read Romans 13, beginning at verse 8 through 10. Remember, again, we stand week in and week out to be reminded that this is God's Word, that this is where truth comes from, that this is not just something we stand for to show reverence and respect, but also to recognize, friends, that uh, we don't have to wonder what God thinks, right? He wrote it down. Uh, so we remind ourselves of that week in and week out. Let's read together Romans chapter 13, beginning at verse 8. Here we go. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, well, before we get into those verses, I want to do just a little bit of review on some of what we talked about last week. We were in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. In 1 through 7, Paul is talking about our relationship, what a proper relationship should look like between ourselves and our civil government. And so Paul encouraged us, just kind of sum it up, Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, he said, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So what the Bible is telling us there is that we are to comply with our government, do what our government asks of us, short of overt sin. Um, there's also a little wiggle room in there that the Bible doesn't spell out clearly. You know, at what point then do we oppose our government? At what point do we try and change things that are going on in our government that are evil practices and how we are to oppose the government? And so there's some wiggle room in there, and the Bible leaves it up to us as a matter of conscience on those issues. Uh, Paul goes on to say in uh, verse 7 that we are to pay taxes, uh, pay to all what is owed to them. And he mentions taxes to those to whom taxes are due, revenue. Some translations use the word tribute. A tribute is what a conquered people, the Jewish people were conquered, what a conquered people would pay to the conqueror. The Romans were their conqueror. And so Paul's reminding them that, look, you have a little bit of extra money that you have to pay that normal Roman citizens wouldn't have to pay uh, because you're a conquered people. So pay the revenue, pay the tribute. He says, also, give respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. So I've got a little slide for you here that just shows verse 7, uh, these things that Paul's talking about. This is kind of his wrap-up statement, verse 7, of what, his, what our proper relationship with um, our governing authorities should look like, that we are to owe taxes, that we are to owe revenue or tribute, that we're to owe respect, that we're to owe honor. And so Paul says, pay those things out. Now, when we get to verse 8, Paul just kind of continues along the same lines. He's like, hey, look, we've been talking about what you owe somebody, in this particular case, the government. Let's continue in that thought. And he makes a statement. He says, owe no one anything. 
And so again, you can just see how verse 8 is just a flowing out of his thought process in verse 7. Um, now, some commentators have taken that to mean that Christians should not carry debt. And so this is kind of what they, their idea of what it means to owe no one anything. So some commentators have really pushed this, that Paul is actually talking here about, about personal finances. But is that really the scope of what Paul has in view, this limited concept of just personal finances? Is this about debt? Uh, well, I, would, I don't believe that it is. Uh, we know this because on several occasions, the Bible gives very explicit instructions regarding borrowing and lending practices. And never does the Bible suggest that to borrow from someone or to lend to someone is a sinful practice. And so when the Bible says, oh, no one anything, and then some of the commentators come in and say, look, see, a Christian shouldn't have any debt. Well, they're out of step with what the rest of the scripture has to say. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 7, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, verse 8, you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Now, why would God, who's speaking here, giving instructions to the Israelite, tell an Israelite, one of his people, to do something that he thinks is wrong? You follow that? On another occasion, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, again, why would Jesus be instructing someone, a follower of his, to lend money to someone who is poor or someone who is needing to borrow this money if Jesus thought that lending, the practice of lending, was wrong? So is being in debt a sinful thing? No. And so the commentators that would look at that statement, oh, no one anything, see the Bible saying that it being in debt is wrong, are not, in, are not reading, through the, reading the rest of Scripture. Is lending money to other people a sinful thing? Of course not. It is instructed in the Bible. So what do we do with this statement? Oh, no one anything. Well, in part, we leave it in its context. Remember, Paul just got done talking about a relationship to the, to the government how we're to pay taxes, how we're to uh, pay our revenue, our tribute, how we're supposed to show respect, how we're supposed to show honor. Uh, but then I think that this statement, and again, I'm saying I think, I try not to say that when I'm preaching up here, I try not to say I believe, but on this occasion, uh, you're getting Gordon's commentary here uh, and how I, how I take this, so I'm just going to put that out there, that I believe that this statement is a little bit more than just Paul talking about our relationship to the government. I think he's expanding on his thought of what he's been talking about, what we owe the government, and then, hey, look, I'm going to talk a little bit more broadly, and that's what this statement is. And so Paul gives us a general rule of what our relationship should look like with other people. That is that we are to owe no one anything. What I believe Paul means by that is that if we're the kind of person who is always going around asking other people for stuff, if we're the kind of person who is always tapping other people and trying to get favors done. If we're the kind of person who has a reputation of always asking other people for help, I think Paul is making a statement here, oh, no one anything, as a way of saying he doesn't want Jesus to be associated with the reputation of someone like that. And I believe what this verse is saying is Paul is saying, do not be the kind of person who cannot manage their own life. Do not be the kind of person who cannot pull their own weight, who cannot get their own act together. When I hear Paul say, owe no one anything, I don't hear Paul speaking exclusively to personal finances. I think it's the whole scope of life. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, God gave you two feet, now stand on them. And I think that that's what that statement is communicating. So please, please, do not walk out of here today thinking that the Bible says that you cannot be in debt. The rest of the scripture does not corroborate that. And please do not think, go out of here thinking that you cannot have a 
a future career as a banker. Because again, the Bible is not stating that. Uh, instead, with these words, owe no one anything, I believe that the Bible is saying, stand on your own two feet. That that's the message that Paul's communicating with these words. All right, let's move on. Still in verse 8. He says, owe no one anything except, Paul says, there's an exception here, to love each other. Uh, the word that's used there in the Greek is the word agape. There are four words in Greek that translate into the one English word, love. And so the word of agape is not talking about romantic love. It's not talking about brotherly love. Rather, this is talking about agape love, which is a sacrificial kind of love. When Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 13, greater love, he uses the word agape there, greater agape has no one than this, that a friend, that someone would lay down his life for his friends, that is agape love, sacrificial love on display. <clears throat> John chapter 3 and verse 16, an often quoted verse in the scriptures. Uh, Jesus said, for God so agaped the world. That's the word that's used there. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So God the Father willingly sacrificed God the Son. That's agape love. It's the kind of love that sacrifices. And so when we read in Romans that our one indebtedness to other people should be to love them, then that means the kind of posture that God is looking for from us is one of a sacrificial kind of love, that our relationship should, with other people should be one of sacrifice. For example, saying to someone, here's some of my time. Let me take you out to lunch. Let me hear what's going on in your life. Those are sacrifices that we make in our relationship to other people. Let's agape each other. Paul repeats this over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of other people. Notice that the Bible is not against you looking out for yourself. Sometimes we miss that. The pietists among us sometimes miss that. The Bible is not against us looking out for ourselves. It says, look not only to your own interests. So the Bible is assuming that you will do that. God put self-preservation. God put um, self uh, you know, keeping ourselves going into our DNA. And so uh, he says here that, you know, we need to consider, though, in addition to that, the needs and the sufferings and the triumphs of other people. Selflessness, then, can be defined this way, not as the absence of caring for oneself, but rather selflessness is caring for oneself while caring for others. Got it? Still thinking about the game yesterday? Okay, end of verse 8. Here we go. Owe no one anything except to love each other, the sacrificial kind of love, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, with the rest of these verses, Paul takes us on a journey into what it's like to be a Jewish person. And one of the things that the Jewish people were just constantly on their mind was the law of Moses, the law of Moses, and keeping the law of Moses. And so they would walk around quoting the scriptures all the time and thinking about all the different laws. that, that There were 613 laws that the Jewish rabbis had come up with. Uh, that the Jewish people were not allowed to violate. Among them were the moral laws of God, and then other things were, you know, don't take your donkey on a walk down the road on the Sabbath day. I mean, it was just all kinds of things to try and keep the Jewish people from violating any of the moral laws of God. And so they were obsessed with this. And so um, the Jewish people, especially the diehards, again, they memorized many of the rules as they could, and they went around plotting out literally their day and their actions and trying to, trying to filter through the actions they were about ready to take through all the things that they could remember that the Bible had instructed them to do. And Paul comes along and says, he actually is quoting here from Jesus who originated, where this originated, and says, how about we make this a whole lot 
easier. He says, try this on. If you will just love each other, agape love, if you'll just observe that one law, the law of love, there will be no need for any of the rest of this neurotic running around trying to make sure that I've got all my ducks in a row and that I'm living the right way. Look at verse 9. He mentioned some of these. He says, these are some of the Ten Commandments. He said, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Or for that matter, he says, any of the other commandments, we can sum it up with this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Again, he's quoting from Jesus who said this. Jesus over in John chapter 13 and verse 34 said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Again, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest of the commandments um, amongst all the commandments that God has given us? And he says, verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He says, but look, there's a second commandment as well, and it's much like the first. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so there's a direct quote that Paul makes here in Romans chapter 13 from the lips of Jesus himself saying, hey, look, I'm not trying to write a new law. I'm not trying to give you a new commandment, but rather I'm trying to give you a commandment that just simplifies everything that God has asked of you throughout those 613 that the rabbi have identified. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus' challenge is for us to show the same attentiveness and the same honor and the same respect toward others as we would show toward ourselves. Um, Paul is not telling us to do something that he did not do himself. Jesus is not telling us to do something that he did not do himself. Both of these men gave up a lot. They sacrificed a lot. They agaped much. They sacrificed much for the people of their day, and so Jesus is calling on us to do the same. And if you do this, you won't have to worry about going around with a list all day long, trying to make sure that your day looks just the way God would want it to look. Rather, Jesus says, look, it's much more organic than that. Just walk into the day and love people. You know, do that, and, that, and by doing that, you will fulfill all of these other rules that the Bible identifies. Um, all you'll need to do is uphold the law of love. And then naturally, that will translate into not committing adultery or murdering or stealing or coveting or any of the other moral rules that the Bible informs us about. Uh, because who would want to steal? Think about this. Who would want to steal from themselves? I wouldn't do that, right? Or who would want to covet or want everybody else coveting what they have? And it's for this reason that Paul concludes in verse 10, love does not, no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. All right, well, that's our treatment of this text for today, and so that means it's time for us to ask the question we ask every week around here, what difference does this make to my life? Um, you say, Gordon, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, I appreciate what you're saying, I get that there's this law of love that Jesus is trying to wrap up and sum up everything that he's talked about with, but here's my question is, and I know that I need to be more loving, but how do I do this? Like, literally, what is this? How, how do I know what the loving thing to do in all of life's circumstances, in all of life's situations, how do I know what the loving thing to do is? Can you put some handles on this for me? Um, what difference does this make to my life? That's a really great question. Let's see if we can answer that. Flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. 
We're going to look at verse 12, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. And if, you're, if you're looking at your text, you may see the heading of that section. It's called the golden rule. And here's how it reads. Uh, Jesus said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The NIV says it like this, do to others what you would have them do to you. Again, this is the golden rule, and it's called the golden rule because it's the best of the best. It's the premium rule. It's golden. And so uh, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus means uh, that we are to love one another, and, and the way that we love one another is by treating other people the way we would want to be treated. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but again, the golden rule comes from Jesus. It didn't come from an Aesop's fable. Um, it didn't come from a nursery rhyme. This is an original statement from Jesus himself. And here's what he's saying, that if you want me to sum up everything that's in this book about how to treat other people, because those, those, those commandments that Paul listed off, you shall not murder, commit adultery, covet, those things, that's the second half of the Ten Commandments that deal with our horizontal relationship, our relationship to other people. And he's saying, look, if you want me to sum up how we're supposed to relate to other people, here's, how, here's what that should look like. You should treat other people the way you would want to be treated. And so if you're wondering, how do I love my neighbor as myself? What does that look like in the situations of life? Well, again, when you encounter a situation, just ask yourself, how would I want to be treated in this situation? And that should tell you how you should then respond. For example, if you're at a gathering of people and you don't know anybody there, uh, wouldn't you want somebody to come up to you and greet you and welcome you and introduce you to some people and say, hey, look, here's where the food is, here's where the drinks are, it's great to have you here today, and we'll want to even walk around with you for a little while to help you get to know some people and to feel comfortable? <clears throat> you say, of course, I would want people to, somebody to treat me that way. Well, then, when you're somewhere and there's some people there who don't know anybody else, Perhaps you're the one that walks up to them and says, hey, we're welcome, glad to have you here today. Let me introduce you to some people. Let me show you where the food is um, and make you feel, have a sense of welcome and warmth and hospitality. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Or if you're at work and you mess up and you make a mistake, would you want your boss to publicly call you out in front of the rest of your employees, in front of the rest of the office, in front of the rest of all the workers and to humiliate you? In front of all of them, you say, no, I wouldn't want somebody to do that. Or would you then want your boss to call you into his or her office and berate you and demoralize you anymore? Of course you would not want somebody to do that. Well then, that should tell us how we should respond, what, what, the, what the reaction of love should be, what the law of love should be in a situation like that. When we're around someone that makes a mistake, not to humiliate them, not to berate them, but rather to give them a second chance and to show them understanding and to show them the patience that we would want somebody to show us ourselves. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know, there's an example that Jesus gives in the, uh, a parable that he teaches, the parable of the unmerciful servant, where, he, where this parable teaches the exact opposite of the golden rule. And so let me just share a little bit about that with you. Um, there's this story Jesus tells of a guy who owes a very large sum of money, um, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, by today's equivalent. Uh, it is an extraordinary amount of money. And he goes to the master. He has no way of paying this money back. And he goes to the master and he says to the master, Sir, I, 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 things have gone awry and I'm not able to pay this debt back and I'm here to beg you for your forgiveness. And in the story, he gets down on his knees, and he's clutching at the master's ankles, and he's just begging for mercy. He's begging for the loan to be forgiven. And so sure enough, the master says, you know what? 
I see that you're contrition here. I see that you're sincere. He says, you know what? I will forgive you of the loan. I will show you mercy. Well, that man then goes outside, and he says, very thankful. Thank you, thank you to the master. And he goes outside. He says, I'm going to be forever grateful. And when he goes outside, he runs into another man out in the street who owes him some money. And uh, it's just a couple hundred dollars, not a whole lot of money in comparison to what this guy had just been forgiven. And the man that had just been forgiven, this very large sum of money, uh, just begins to berate this guy and threaten him to throw him in jail and give him the hardest time. And he's grabbing his coat and saying, you better pay me back what you owe me. And uh, the master finds out about this. Look at, listen to the master's response to how the man that had been forgiven much and how he had responded to this other fellow, who, um, how he responded to that. The master says, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 32, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Verse 33, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Friends, God has shown great love and mercy and forgiveness to us. We read that verse just a little while ago, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave everything. He loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Friends, if God has shown us so much mercy and so much forgiveness and so much love, should not we have forgiveness and mercy and agape love for the people we encounter every day. Should not we, as Paul says in Romans chapter 13, hold a debt of love toward our fellow man? Um, I don't want to be like that unmerciful servant in the eyes of my heavenly Father. You say, Gordon, I mean, how do I do this? How do I love my neighbor as myself? Again, very simple. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Process those words. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Process those words before you speak, before you react, before you respond. How Put yourself in their shoes. How would I want to be treated in this situation? And friends, then that will, that will give you the law of love. That will give you how you should respond, Jesus said. You say, Gordon, I agree with what you're saying, and I hear what Jesus is saying, and I love it that he's simplifying all these rules for us. But I have a concern. And my concern is, I fear that the loving thing to do can be a little arbitrary. It can be a little subjective from one situation to another, from one person to another. And some people might say, I want to be treated this way. And other people may say, I want to be treated that way. Is Jesus saying that morality is subjective? It's just what, according to what somebody thinks is the loving thing to do in a situation? Well, that's a really great question. And we need to be clear that Jesus is not disagreeing with the moral law of God as prescribed in the Bible. Again, go back to um, Matthew chapter seven. No, Roman, yeah, Matthew chapter seven and verse twelve. Go back to Matthew chapter seven and verse twelve, and look at that statement Jesus makes there again. He says, "Do to others what you would have them do to you." For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying, in treating other people the way we would want to be treated, it has to align with what the law and the prophets, that is the Old Testament, what the moral law of God commands. Jesus is not undermining the moral law of God, rather he, and he's not writing something new here. Rather, Jesus is summarizing all of those rules and regulations 
about how we should respond in any given situation about the behavior and actions that God says are sin. So let's be very clear that the law of love has as its foundation the moral law of God. And that when my response in thinking what the loving thing to do is out of line with, perhaps, the moral law of God, then I default to the moral law of God. So Jesus and Paul are both presuming something about their audience, and that is that the people who are going around loving their neighbor as themselves who are, and who are making situational determinations about love would have them to do, those people are also grounded in the moral law of God. Morality is not subjective, my friends. God determines what is right and what is wrong, and we know what God thinks. Again, because he wrote it down. I think sometimes our culture believes love can be defined this way. I got a slide for you here. That is definitely the path of least resistance. Can be. But is it true? Is love equal acceptance? And the answer is not in all situations. Jesus did not just accept everyone's behaviors. Right? He called people to repentance. He called them to live a different way of life. And so the loving thing to do in some situations is to rebuke somebody or to rebuke the sin. The loving thing to do in some situations is to show discipline. Parents know about this. It's not always easy. It may be, it's not always the path of least resistance for sure. But again, we respond in a way that we would want to be treated, but that has to have as its foundation the moral law of God and not undermine that. So here's my challenge to you, and with this I'll be done. Are you living according to the law of love? If you look across the relationships that you have and how you respond in situations, is the law of love what is guiding your responses? Are you treating other people the way you would want to be treated? With dignity, with respect? Are you soft-spoken rather than harsh? Are you fair in your treatment of other people. Again, the way you would want to be treated. How about in your home? Does your spouse get treated the way you would want to be treated? How about your children? Do they see the ugly side of you that the customers during the day don't? Because those customers during the day, you know how you want to treat them. But when you get home, are you still carrying that same thing forward? Friends, Jesus said, I'll give you one basic rule. And if you will follow that rule, he says, we will fulfill every law that ever could have been written. And that one rule is to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and stop and think about how would I want to be treated in this situation. I'll leave you finally with this quote. This comes from St. Chrysostom. He's one of the early church fathers. He writes, love is the root, it's the stem and the branches of the law. In other words, love is all of this. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word today, uh, to be challenged in our own walk of life. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we hear your word spoken, that you would soften our hearts. Perhaps we'd become that harsh taskmaster. Perhaps we'd become impatient in some areas of our life where we really wish we weren't. And God, we can't change ourselves. We can try to alter our behavior, but it's really up to your Holy Spirit to get on the inside and to change our heart. 
And so, Lord, in these quiet moments, we just pray as we remember your broken body and your shed blood. We remember your agape love on display. Lord, may that soften our hearts for the week ahead. May it cause us to pause in how we respond and how we treat others uh, throughout the week. Lord, use this quiet time to change, to soften, to transform our hearts. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.